Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. Welcome to part two of our two-part podcast about our friend Michael Strelo-Smith and his experience singing on America's Got Talent. If this sounds new to you, turn back. You're in the wrong place. Go back and listen to part one. We'll hit you with the intro music, and then it's on with the show. Last time on Music Untapped. Dear producers, my name is Michael. I'm an American, and I have talent. And then I got an email from the senior casting producer. We want to book you on the show. And that's when Sharon Osbourne gave me the name Sugar Mouth. That was you. Yeah, I was Sugar Mouth. It's like, you little Sugar Mouth. And so that has stuck. I have been doing this since I was 10 years old. Sometimes you get the gig, sometimes you don't get the gig. And a lot more often you don't get the gig. You are now the world's poorest millionaire. You're still having to go and work a full-time job. And when I watched how they aired it, I'm like, wow, they have literally turn this into fat white guy versus fat African-American guy. This is Music Untapped. Music Untapped. Music Tapped. 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 Oh, shit. Cheers. Cheers to you. It's a music podcast, and I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. (laughs) To where we are both... They're, they're going back and forth between us. And this is stuff you can still find on the internet of um, talking to the judges. And you don't know who they're talking to. Like, oh, well, we're not sure about you. And then they go to me, but we're not sure about you. And then they go to him. And it's back and okay. forth. And then they have us wait after we've both been advanced. And then we're walking down a hallway. <laughs> slow motion together or like separately side by side yeah fuck oh and then there was the when you you had to walk up this very steep little staircase to get up on the stage from the house and so there was great footage of each of us taking our turn in slow motion from you know the camera from behind and then during our performances backing up a little bit they positioned each of us in front of a monitor with two camera crews on us Mm mm-hmm trying to get reactions to the other person's performance. Huh. So they wanted me to be shady and have this like sure. shitty reaction and oh, be so judgy. Like, so-and-so's performing, stand right here and watch this performance. And give us your natural reaction. And I, I just stood there and I smiled the whole time. Yeah, and like maybe like be a little supportive. Oh, yeah. And because for me as a singer, like even if somebody like competitively or in a job is my rival, I want to support them. Yeah. That's part of being an actual professional because you never know when that person is going to be the person you're singing next to or they're like leading a show or something in the future. You never know. Yeah, exactly. And And also, also, I'm not going to go on national television and have them and just get footage of me being like a fucking asshole. Yeah, 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 of course. So (laughs) then all of a sudden, I would sing something the next week, he would be singing it. Or I sang something one week and like three, four weeks later, he was singing it again. And for our listeners, I just rolled my eyes as hard as you possibly could. So for the Las Vegas round, this time I sang um, somewhere from West Side Story. Mm -hmm. And this horrid woman decided she was going to give me feedback via my MySpace page. 
letting me know that I should really, you know, look at some of the parts of the song a little bit closer because I was not always in tune. And I said, if you go back and watch it, you can see that there is a splice thing that's happening. I'm not singing it. They have edited the song. Mm -hmm. So it just didn't sound right. Right. So then we get into the first live show, and this, which was right after the, the Vegas one, mm-hmm. and Neil is singing somewhere. Okay, can I interject? Sorry to interrupt you, but just asking a quick question. Like, how does the actual timeline of things being live versus the live show actually work? Because in your first season, it sounded like everything that was being recorded was way before mm-hmm. things were put on TV. And now it seems like you're describing you actually getting feedback from the public that can apply to TV. Right. Like it seems so, like it's really close now, where as before it seemed like it was very far away. Um, what, is that, what does that timeline of release look like? Sorry to defer. Um, no, 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 it's fine. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, the I, beginning so, of the season looked the same in season three as it did in season two, but you made it further in season three than yes, you did in season yes. two. Yes, yes. So, I remember, um, so for example, even in the the year before, in, when we were in Vegas... That was oh okay was Mother's Day. That so that's when Vegas filmed. So that was the last of the taped episodes was Las Vegas. Oh okay. And then from there, so for season two, I didn't know what happened after that. Season three, then you're pulled back for you're flown back for a week, mm-hmm. and we are all put up at the uh, sh- the Universal Sheraton, mm-hmm. um, and you are given a twenty five dollar per diem. Which we thought was hysterical because with tax, breakfast in the restaurant was $27. One meal a day. (laughs) But not even that. That was style week. So we had to bring in our black clothing. We went into this studio and it was really cool because you see this on TV and you now it's like you're in the, the real thick of it. It is a wall full of giant light bulbs. And there's this camera that's sort of spinning around as you're moving and the giant fans blowing air at you. You're just like, ah, yes, my hair is so right. wind-tussled. Exactly. And so then they do a lot of other pictures and things going on. And that, at that point in season three, that's when I begin working with the vocal coach. The vocal coach for that, starting season three, for, I think for a couple of seasons, was the composer, Georgia Stitt, who is the wife of um, Jason Robert Brown. Mm-hmm. Most people didn't know who she was, and I was like, I couldn't even like silently freak out. I was just, I, I was just, it was, it was so cool. Like here, I, here, cool. here I am. And then um, I knew that for my live show, I was going to be singing "I Am What I Am." Um, oh yeah, from, from uh, Lacage. Yeah, right. But that's not how the public saw it. They thought I was doing Gloria Gaynor's um, <laughs> version of it. So like, why is he singing that Gloria Gaynor song? The cool thing, they. Re- they they didn't just pull tracks. These were our arrangement of the piece, our key, and it was orchestrated by, you know, it's one of the few producers and conductors that Barbara Streisand would work with. Like, it was like this high-level So thing. wasn't the sort of thing like the show was getting a little bit bigger, and so they had more production right. value, and they were able to actually... Yes, so okay. we didn't talk, we haven't talked about the contract, but you get this sort of contract in the beginning that's massive, and it has all of these rules, these stipulations... Um, my favorite part is it refers to, uh, it says, you and it covers anywhere in the universe. <laughs> the show has, you know, dominion over you. Using your likeness, your image, mm-hmm. everything. And 
then you get to another level and mm-hmm. here come people from legal with this addendum and then more by the time so the further you advance in the show the you, more shit you have to sign yeah and the more intense it gets so by the time i got to that to, to the semifinals, which was a live show they I, I think the total contract was something like 1500 pages holy shit and it stipulates like if you win they had a seven year or something right to manage you and and, and, oh, and you so. get and they get 20 percent, which is huge for management fees right now you can with their permission go with someone else but that manager is going to take a cut and agt is still going to get their cut on mm-hmm. top of that and with all of the options that they have within these contracts uh, for, for for management and handling your career it actually goes out for something like 14 years. Whoa. So it's entirely possible that, like Kelly Clarkson, for example, mm-hmm. as her career was building and growing and growing and growing, even years and years after Idol, they were still getting money. Right. And the percentages dropped as the years went on. Sure. But they it was 14 years. But Idol, like, by that rationale, Idol, like, very recently stopped getting money from Kelly Clarkson. Right. Like, last five years. Whoa. So, I mean, it, it really is quite a contract. And I had an entertainment lawyer look at it, and the reality was, if you want to be on the show, you have to sign it. Right. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to sign it, you don't be on the, you're not on the show. Sure. Yeah. They talk about recording contracts mm-hmm. um, and other performances and, and fees and things like that um, for second place and third place and fourth place. Mm. And none of those had ever been given out. Oh, given right. up into season three. Now, season three was interesting because by then, Terry Fader, who won season two, had his own show in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So everybody assumed that he got it because of the show. Oh, they assumed that like the actual first prize was a show oh, on right. the strip. So what they started doing season three is you were going to get a Vegas show. Well, they people were there thinking, I'm going to get a, a show. I'm going to have my own residency. And I, I turned to someone and I'm like, do you really think that one of these big hotel properties is going to give a nobody a residency yeah. for like a year? No. Right. It was 10 days after the show ended. Because then they started billing on the, uh, on the show. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to get this Vegas performance. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember Right. That. It was at the MGM Grand. Okay. And it was 10 days, I think, after the, sh- the finale aired. Okay. So really not enough time to even get an audience. For I was told that that performance yeah. had maybe like two-thirds house in this massive theater. Wow. So you go from like winning this nationally televised show to performing to a half-packed house uh, in some Las Vegas. And, and it's, it was like one performance. That was the Vegas, that was the Vegas show. <laughs> that was it. Okay, I've been wondering this for a little bit now, but any of the stuff that you describe, our listeners could look this up online and see videos of it. Yes. Yes. What what, what would they have to search if they wanted to see the stuff that you're talking about? Just America's Got Talent. Michael Strelo Smith, it's hyphenated. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not telling you where the hyphen is, though. There is this argument that is happening between myself and two of the judges be Piers Morgan and Sharon Osbourne. It was the moment that I said in my head, fuck it, I am done. This is, this is ridiculous because it's not what I'm here for. They were still trying to perpetuate this whole thing between me and Neil. Right. And at that point, I'd seen episodes that had aired. 
I knew what was going on. They selected my music. See, they ask you for a list of songs. Mm -hmm. And then they come back with, this is what we got clearance for. And they frame it as we got clearance for this, but actually it's... This is what you're, you know, we've decided this you're doing. So that's why I did I Am What I Am. Mm -hmm. Because... They told you that to. They told me to. The first thing that was ripped apart was my song choice. <laughs> that they chose for you. The day before we did the live show, I was taken by one of the wardrobe people shopping to purchase the outfit that I was wearing on the show. The next thing that was criticized was what I was wearing. And Jesus. that was when I was like, fuck it. Yeah. This is... Th- it's, it's like they set you up yeah. to fuck you. Right. My, my backstory that I had, at that point, it had just been a few years after my, my grandmother had passed away and the sort of profound impact. But then the next year was about me teaching and how I was leaving my teaching job, which was really more about going to finish my education. Mm-hmm. So there were, you know, they had sent a can. They, they had, uh, they filmed all the students at my school. Go Brew Ryan Dolphins. Okay, I don't know what the dolphin says. Um, what, did, what a dolphin sounds like. What a dolphin sounds like. I know what do- I, I know what it sounds like when doves cry, though. Um, <laughs> of course. And then they had my students make, they contacted the school to make this, like, giant book. Like, Aww. huge books. So I had two of them, and they had footage of me just flipping through them. And then they would, like, tape me. And so I'm, I'm walking in just, you know, an ill-fitting outfit on a breezy, breezy L.A. day with a voiceover of me being, like, contemplating life and everything. It's like, oh, what a plebeian. Look at him go. But here's what was interesting. The backstory of my competition was about the relationship with his grandmother. Of course it was. Of course. And so, um, yeah, I was, I, at that point, I was ready to go. The only thing I wanted were the jeans and shoes. So, like, you got to a point where you were just fed up with the bullshit of it all. Yeah. Even while you were on there. Yeah, I mean, I learned very early in the game that I knew my talent was going to take me to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, it's what they could package and how they would package it with something else. Sure. I have no bitterness about my elimination even in season three. Okay, and in season three, where did that happen? Uh, that was after the live show. Okay. So you, you, we did the live show, and then the next day was the live results show. Oh, uh, okay. To be a semifinalist, it's like top 40 at that point. There were like 1.4 million people that auditioned to get on the show. Sure. To be a part of a group of people that have been selected to be that top 40 in the country mm-hmm. out of that number, mm-hmm. that was pretty amazing to me. Yeah. And it still is. Because I'd made it to the live show and these other levels of contracts, I was not allowed to do work that really made money for me as a singer for about 18 months. Because the show sees it as, we've given you all of this free publicity, and we're going to take that money back now. So, okay, I know that on a show like Survivor, even the person who gets last place gets put up for several months and they win money. Did they give you anything, any monetary compensation there was my $25 per diem (laughs) that didn't even cover breakfast that didn't cover breakfast my southwest flights but so you were not allowed to work for 18 months without paying that money to them or some of that money to them and you didn't they didn't give anything to you shit mm. but again in terms of the publicity so season two aired on NBC and then all of a sudden I turn on the television, I'm on Bravo, because it, it aired on oh, Bravo. Gotcha. 
And then I, it did air internationally. And then all of a sudden, season three doesn't end up on Bravo, but it has bigger international presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have people emailing me from other parts of the world. Okay. Um, I had two like mini fan clubs that loved to watch my episodes. One of them was cool. in Jakarta, and the other was in, the other one was in Oslo. And it was season three that gave me my two stalkers. Um, you. Stalkers? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> there was a, um, a gentleman in Las Vegas who um, went by the name Poppy Pepe. And I just remember a, a, a sh- this not very tall man sort of standing in this ocean water by a rock with this very sort of long mustache. And if we remember, gang, the um, days of MySpace, it was uh, on that page, it was like favorite song, favorite artist, favorite yes. book. All of those things on his page, on Poppy Pepe's page, had my name all the way down. Wow. Uh. And then there was Julia of North Carolina. You know, anytime somebody sent me an email, I was so grateful that like somebody took the time to write to me. Like mm-hmm. it meant something to me. And I wrote back. And sometimes I wrote, there was a conversation. And there are people that I'm connected with that I still talk to regularly that I only know because they watched me on the show. But then Julia would say things like, I think you should record music from Phantom of the Opera and wear a tuxedo on the cover and hold a rose. I it'd get very specific. And then she would send me pictures of herself. She's like, this would go really well with that, that picture of you in a tuxedo. And she's standing there with like a rose in her hair and this like lace shawl. Um, and then she started sending me her poetry. Like sing my music. Um, <laughs> which would be great set to music sung by me. And then I was drunk and I thought, why don't we call and see what she sounds like? But I forgot to block my phone number. So I ended up having to change my phone number because then she was just calling incessantly. Oh God. So you got a, like a, a pair oh, yeah, like yeah. of like very legitimate stalkers. I wish I made it. it stalkers. Like Taylor, you're supposed to have stalkers. And she so the... <laughs> The, the big takeaway, though, like from all of it, because people, there were only a couple times where I was uncomfortable with how I was recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was at the Bombay Company at, I think it might have been like Roseville Outlets or something. And then there was something that happened. It was in old Sacramento. There's like a crystals store and like jewelry thing. And I got sort of cornered by this group of people. And when I was in the Bombay Company store, this guy's sort of following me around, staring, and this woman's doing the same thing. And instead of walking towards the door to leave the place, I just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper in the store. And then all of a sudden, you hear this guy go, yes, it's him from that TV show. And of course, he's like yelling American Idol. Uh, but then again, if they loved me on American Idol, I was on American Idol. Um, of course. Then just this group of people come and they're sort of gathered around you. And I mean, everybody was nice, but it's not necessarily comfortable. Yeah, you were just trying to shop and suddenly yeah. you're doing a fucking press conference right. without <laughs> the press. <laughs> In so, a crystal store, right? The, the thing, though, that stuck with me throughout this experience was... Because people would say, oh, you must be upset that you got eliminated. I'm like, again, no. Sometimes you get the gig, sometimes you don't. Yeah. It didn't matter to me if people liked me... Or if people hated me. Like, that's all this. I mean, yeah, of course, th- knowing how we are as artists, it's sure. easier to take in the people that hate us. Yeah. I didn't care about that. 
Well, when there are stuff- so many, it's hard to care that much. You have to almost, I feel like, detach a little bit when there are, you're exposed to such well, a Well, see, that's audience. the thing. It was really hard. To, the part that was hard to detach from, it wasn't the like or dislike. Because, again, everything at that point I'd received, except from Piers Morgan, was incredibly positive. Mm-hmm. It was realizing that there were 12 to 15 million people watching each of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And that they had an opinion at all. That I could be a part of this discussion in somebody's house, in some place I've never even been. It, it just, it was a very strange feeling. That was the only time I ever felt any sort of weird depression-like thing from it, was during that time, after I, was, I left the show. People will ask a lot if I still watch it. I have not watched it past my elimination on season three. Um, I was walking through my parents' living room and they were watching it and the buzzer went off and I swear it was like PTSD. I had to go like run for cover. That buzzer, which incidentally is the same one used for X's on Family Feud, <laughs> might be the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because when you would hear that sound, you could feel it in your bones. Yeah. It was horrible, horrible, horrible sensation. And it still like lingers, that feeling? That, oh yeah, like... like I hear it and it's just, mm, no, no, wow. no, no, no. Don't like that. Don't like that at all. I guess like one of our last things that I have to ask about is just being on the show and everything, what impact has that had on your life moving forward? It's been a couple years now. Yeah. What has that looked like? I'm proud of what I did on the show. Absolutely. I stand behind everything I did, and I feel that, especially at that time of my life, it was a pure reflection of who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and where you were as an artist at the right, time, too. Right, right. There were things that it did ultimately help me with as as a singer, because I was singing stuff that was outside of the typical classical realm, but I didn't want to go on the show singing it as a classical singer doing these contemporary pieces. Right. So it made me look at my technique in a different way, and that's, I mean, that's been a huge factor in how I teach now. Mm-hmm. There are people that are genuinely interested and very supportive and remember me from the show. And then there are people in the classical world that have treated it like a very odd novelty. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you did that. You did mm-hmm. that thing. And then, of course... Once I was on there doing it, and there was Neil, and there was also Donald Braswell, who was um, a wonderful singer, and he had been eliminated too, then that's when the classical singers started showing up. There was one who did quite well. I think he made it into the semifinals, as I did, um, who actually went to San Francisco Conservatory with. And um, it became this thing like, okay, well, I'm going to go and show that I can do this. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who has a, a, a duo with another singer. I think they actually had their instrumentals with them. And they do lots of concerts around California Bay, like throughout the U.S. And they begged the show to not air their segment because it was just, it just fell apart. Mm-hmm. There is always, you know, it's like as soon as you get like this little niche group that goes on there, then everybody else is like, I'm going to show that I can do this better. Mm-hmm. And the classical singing became such a big thing that there was a guy that started a blog for six seasons after I was eliminated. Anytime there was a classical singer, this guy mentioned me and how much he hated me. Finally, after six years, I said, thank you so much for mentioning me each, of, each and every year. It's helping to keep me relevant. You know, I think if I had only stayed and have, you know, had always stayed on just a classical path, it's like I have, I have more explaining to do, like what I was doing on that show. Mm-hmm. But because I've sort of lived in this sort of Hybrid undefined... Little, yeah. yeah. 
And there are some people that are inquisitive, some people that laugh at it, but the majority of people are just really supportive and loved Mm it. I have to say, one of the funniest experiences I've ever had was while participating in this um, romantic German lead program uh, in southern Germany last year. Here I am, surrounded by these, like, 19, 20, 21 year olds. Mm Mm-hmm who were all 9, 10, 11 years old when the show was on. Right. right. And once they found out about it, it clicks, and they see a picture of me back then, and they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then they're calling their parents because their parents remember it. And so it, it was like, oh, I'm remembered by more than one generation. Aww. No, no it, was, it, was, it was really sweet. And, I mean, that's really the experience that I still get from it. Like, people are just kind. I was also, it's important, I think, to say that when I was eliminated on season three, it sparked more controversy. The way it had always worked, when you got to these semifinal rounds, the top five acts were automatically moved on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it changed. The top four move on, mm. and the acts in fifth and sixth place stand before the judges, and the judges make the decision. So were you eliminated as number six? I, I, I was number five. Oh, okay. And Six Step, the dance crew, was number six. Uh, They were advanced. Appropriately named Six Step. Right. So um, it was interesting. Another thing that's in the contract. So there are very strict FCC regulations about the phone voting. The show is not allowed in any way, shape, or form to manipulate the phone records. And all of those things Mm -hmm. are documented. But the show can step in if they, if they see, quote-unquote, irregularities. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the town that my parents live in at, at the time, the, the town of Galt, California, Ooh. all of the phone numbers there, the landlines, everyone began with the area code and then the prefix 745. And then you would just see if everybody, so if everybody in the town of Galt was calling to vote for me, mm-hmm. you would see a sequential list of phone numbers. The show says, hmm, that looks like an irregularity. And they cancel out all of those votes. So they have this way of seeing, like just kind of guessing, I think so-and-so might be more marketable than so-and-so. So we can call the votes for this one person an irregularity and carry on the votes for another. They can cancel votes for people that they see as disfavorable for their ratings. No, they, they, they're just canceling vote irregularities. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, everything is just how they... You know, my, my experience with the show got to a part... Now, I, I was told that there was a management offer and then somebody wanted to send a movie script to me based on the life of Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> but, I mean, we couldn't have America... We could... Sugar Mouth could not play that horrible... It involved a sex scene, so there was not going to be any... With nudity. Um, but with the management offers, it was very disappointing because the show had final say. And they said, oh, no, we get something better for you than that. And something better will come along. And then and nothing, nothing did. Does. And then the momentum has died. Right. That company doesn't want to take me on anymore. Uh. Right. It's almost as if they don't want their people to become successful and dependent on the show. (laughs) Right. Almost as if. Crazy. The winner of season three was Neil Boyd. And I don't think that, I mean, personally, I don't think he was given support to elevate him as an artist. Mm -hmm. 
he recorded an album that included America's song, God Bless the USA, along with other patriotic hits. And it was, it, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't good. And I mean, I heard Neil sing better on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And he did have, there was one great gig that he did, you know, post-show, which was with Paul Potts, the winner of Britain's Got Talent. Um, And they did a duet concert um, at the Beacon Theater. I mean, that was pretty, in New York City. You know, for me, I had my life journey take me where it is, and I've made the changes I needed to for my life to where I'm living in a, a much more positive way. And it was really devastating to get a message from someone saying, oh, hey, did you hear that Neil Boyd died? And it was related to a lot of health issues. And, you know, we never stayed in contact. But, but I some, know that there had to have been something, like he had to have been experiencing the same thing I was. He yeah. had to have been aware of that. And some level of camaraderie for you and him enduring and going through the same event. Yeah. So I, 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 I felt just sad because here was this show and it really did nothing. You know, every, they still try to claim Terry Fader as this great success story, but it was really Terry Fader's people right. that went and got him the show. See, America's Got Talent, at the time, they didn't really get much of anything out of Terry Fader's gig. Mm. Mm. One of the things I want to say, too, about Simon Cowell. Okay, tell us about Simon Because everybody Cowell. has an opinion about Simon Cowell. When I think of all of the people I've encountered in my career of singing at any level, he's been one of the most, he was one of the most supportive people to like ever make like he made sure that I knew that he was in my corner. Mm. Simon Cowell does not like people who are trying to recreate what some other artist did. And so when he when you see him really connecting with someone and supporting them, it's because of that authenticity. Yeah. And he was a very tiny man. <laughs> is he is he short? Like and petite. <laughs> like this very short petite man. Um, my mom and I were, were st- we were under um, the stage. We were at the like the Orpheum or the Fox Theater in, in Los Angeles. And the green room was under the stage. And so at the time, I don't want to sound horrible, but you can edit this out if need be, but there was a dance troupe that we called the Texas State Vagina Stompers because they all went, there were like 60 or 70 of them, all went into a jump split at the same time. And like then you would just see dust coming from the stage above us, like, and just rickety, like, wood. So there were five other acts sort of gathered around this green room. You see Simon Cowell walk by and he just sort of, like, poses. They're, like, trying to, you know, get his attention. Then he starts walking down this hallway. And as he's walking past these acts, my mom and I are sort of chuckling to ourselves because people are, like, trying to present themselves like some sort of cat in heat, and he's ignoring them, and then you just see the, the dejected looks on their face. And then, of course, he starts to get closer. So my mom and I both, like, drop our heads down and, like, go against the wall. Like, oh, he can't see us because we can't see him. And then he comes up and he just has this, like, conversation with us. And he said... Like, very casual, pleasant. Very, it was, like, casual and supportive. And he's like, I'm so excited about the music you're singing this season. By the way, don't ever sing This Is The Moment. It's a horrible, horrible song. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because, like, as a just general, let's say fan in the most loose terms ever, but, like, fan of reality TV and, like, Simon Cowell in general, I love the guy. I love him, too. Like, people give him a lot of shit for being, like, me. And the bad guy, but I'm just like, dude. But, but he's just fucking blunt. Right, well, but if you look at... It's so good to give real talk, too. That's the thing. Like, I feel like so many, like, aspiring 
musicians at the very least, and people in general sort of aspiring to these things, like, don't get real honest feedback. Right. And, like, and they need to. Like, they need this fucking reality check instead of trying to spend a decade trying to make it when they're never going to. You know, or it's a, trying to it. trying to make it as something that they're not, right, and that's exactly. why he's saying like what he says. They need to course correct, and instead they're getting all this feedback. Oh no, if you just try harder, you're gonna be great, or you're really fucking great. Yeah, I think you're like, not booking any gigs. Well, and it's like the, that. that like feedback. He, he's like the stereotypical Simon Cowellinas. That was absolutely dreadful. Yeah, and it's just like that doesn't mean you suck. Yeah, it means that, that sucked. performance sucked. Yes. Like, so do something better. Because right. I've heard him say that sucked, and then the next week be just like, no, that was great. Right. And it's keying into, like, what it actually takes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, oh, I did get to meet Ozzy. Oh, nice. When they pulled up, like, um, their Bentley Continental GT, I they were standing there, and he's just sort of sitting in the front seat, just kind of shaking. Um, <laughs> and then um, the last thing I feel that is important to pass on, Sharon Osbourne smells so good (laughs) she is wearing some sort of perfume that i'm convinced that there are like toothless old french women in a basement somewhere in paris just like squeezing essence out of flowers just like milking the flowers yeah yeah i mean that's i've never smelled it before and you know when she's coming up to you with the i mean i was so impressed that she had the pomeranian mini that was on the osborne's like i know your dog (laughs) It's still alive. The it's still alive. F- she was the finest smelling Ooh. woman I've ever been around. <laughs> I think that kind of brings us to the close of the episode then. I think so. But thank you so much for being our guest. I was riveted for this entire time you were yeah. talking about it. It's great to know behind the scenes. Yeah. Really so much that you would never even imagine. And so much like confirmed that like, oh yeah, I could see that yeah. too. But yeah, thank you so much, Michael, for coming on the episode with us this week. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Uh, follow us on our social media. Uh, Instagram at music.untapped on Facebook. Just, just search us as Music Untapped. Yes, you can always shoot us an email at untappedpod at gmail.com. And thanks for stopping in and listening to us this week. I hope you liked our very first ever guest spot. So exciting. And I loved having you on the show, so thank you again. Thank you, and, and have your pets spayed or neutered. <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll end by saying our standard cheers. Cheers. Oh, cheers. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.